Hello and welcome back, listener. I hope you were well. Uh, you're listening to My Surrogacy Journey, the podcast season three. We're taking you on a journey of education and surrogacy storytelling. I'm Wes, one of the co-founders of My Surrogacy Journey and your only host today. Unfortunately, Michael, my husband and co-founder, can't be here today, but I promise it's going to be an incredible episode. Thank you for downloading us. It's always amazing being back in the studio and making these podcasts we really enjoy. We have a fabulous sponsor for season three podcast. It's Manchester Fertility. They were founded in 1985 and have an exceptional team of fertility doctors, nurses, embryologists and patient support staff. Manchester Fertility remains one of the leading fertility clinics in the country to date delivering more than 8,000 babies, which is an amazing amount. Imagine working and helping create 8,000 babies. For intended parents seeking surrogacy support, Manchester Fertility is my surrogacy journey's Northern and Midlands Centre of Excellence. We really love working with Manchester Fertility and the team. Offering surrogacy advice and fertility treatment options for gay, bi, queer and trans men and heterosexual singles and couples, helping them to navigate their way through their surrogacy journey. For this episode, we're going to be talking Talking to Alyssa and Lizzie from iGenomics. iGenomics is a medical testing laboratory specialist uh, in reproductive genetic services. They investigate human reproduction to change the lives of those who are trying to conceive. So we're going to jump straight into all things genetic testing and what people should expect from genetic counsellors. Now, I'm going to give you both the opportunity in a second to kind of give yourselves a bit of a what's your name, where you're from. I am really excited to hear more about this because I think genetic testing and the services that accompany genetic testing are really under, not valued, but really, uh, really misunderstood. And I'm really hoping that the listener today can get a real understanding of you know, the impact of genetic testing and how you can prepare for it, but also how you can deal with it if you don't get the results that you were expecting. So today I'm joined by Alyssa and Lizzie. They are both from a company called iGenomics. They are a partner of My Surrogacy Journey. And essentially what they do is they provide genetic testing for our intended parents when creating and starting on their family journey. So Alyssa, give us an overview. What's your name, where are you from? <laughs> Hello, lovely to be here. I'm Alyssa, I'm one of the genetic counselors at iGenomics. So I've been with iGenomics for a couple of years now. Before that, I worked for the NHS for four years as a genetic counsellor in inherited heart conditions. Um, so I was one of the principal genetic counsellors there. And I'm originally from Canada. You'll hear from my voice. <laughs> and then Lizzie, tell me more about you. Come on. I'm Lizzie. I'm a genetic counsellor also with iGenomics. Also previously worked in the NHS um, in kind of varied roles, cancer genetics, prenatal and, and general genetics. And then prior to that worked in medical publishing as a medical writer and editor. There we go. That's amazing. <laughs> so look, uh, let's just like put it out there because you might hear lots of different terms and I don't want to confuse the listener about exactly what we're talking about today. So one of the things that you can have done a particular test, now we, we refer to it as CGT, that's specific to iGenomics, but essentially what we're looking at is carrier screening. Now, correct me if I'm wrong ladies but we all carry or most of us carry because there are a percentage that don't carry any defective genes that we test for but we all carry potentially defective genes and as on our own when we're not kind of working in collaboration with another person that essentially is not an issue but where it becomes an issue and I'll use the example of uh, sperm and egg if the person 
uh, whose sperm has been provided has the genetic testing and then the donor or the person who's providing the egg equally has that same level of testing and what we're looking for is whether both of the donors or the egg or sperm providers have a genetic defect which is the same and that actually is called co-carriage where both people have the same genetic defect which then results in co-carriage. Now if you are using donor eggs or donor sperm and you have co-carriage the recommendation would be that you then change that donor. If you are a heterosexual couple and you are in a relationship and are using each other's gametes and you have co-carriage, then that's a different conversation, isn't it? But essentially, what we're looking at are all of those components that will potentially result in a, either a nasty condition or a life-limiting condition. Now, I'm sure, ladies, you can describe that much better than me, and that's my very crude assessment of it. But is there anything else that you would add to that? I think you've done a very good job. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's that's spot on. And you know, for carrier screening, these aren't conditions that people necessarily would know in their family history or any conditions that they'd have themselves. So I think that can be a common misconception is that when we meet with people, they'll say, I don't have any genetic conditions. I don't know of anybody in my family who has anything. So I really don't think you're going to pick up anything on this test, which we know is not, you know, the case that, as you said, you know, most or all of us are carriers of something. And usually we don't know about it unless either, you know, sadly, some couples only find out when they have an affected child. Mm -hmm or they know of somebody who's who's you know had a child with a genetic condition and those are the sorts of people who are coming to us as the people who who either have had an affected child themselves or they know of somebody um, and and sadly at the moment that's mostly how people hear about it they don't know about it just generally as being a test that's available sure and and i think it's our job as an organization particularly of our members but also the reason for this podcast is to to help educate those that don't necessarily go through my surrogacy journey but it's about letting the people know that if you are using you know reproductive medicine to create your family that there are <laughs> tests available that could potentially reduce the risk of some of these life-limiting or conditions that babies have been born with and it's about trying to take that risk away from it so that we, we aren't at the position where a child has a condition we could potentially look at how we can minimize the impact of, of a child being born with that condition and I also should mention that we did a specific podcast in season one around genetic testing and that episode if you want to go back to it is going to give you the real clinical and science element to it uh, so you can kind of help you understand that better we're not going to talk about the science specifically today and we've just kind of framed genetic testing generally to help people understand uh, the context of this conversation today but Alyssa and Lizzie play really vital roles in in my opinion in helping people prepare for the testing and I think often a lot of people just assume naturally that there's not going to be any negative results from this testing and I think what you both do is help people think about before they start taking the test and this is really important for us because as always it's about education and for us how do we help people understand if they are if they do want this level of testing and not everyone has to have it it's it's a it's an optional element but if they do have this testing how do we make sure people know exactly 
the impact that this testing could have on them. And I think unless you have those kind of conversations pre-test, uh, how do you know how you're going to react? So why don't we just jump straight in there and let's have a discussion on genetic testing and kind of the benefits associated with with the knowledge. Yeah, the, the, as you say, knowledge is, is the first benefit, gaining that insight into what an individual or a couple's risk might be of having a child with um, what we call a recessive genetic condition. So it's gaining that knowledge of risk and then allowing people to make informed decisions about that risk that are in keeping with their values and their beliefs. For some people, having the information is enough and there's there's never pressure to act on that. But for other people, if they knew they were at increased risk, they would want to avoid having a child with that condition. So I guess it gives people the tools to make decisions based on the level of risk they're given. I suppose an added byproduct um, of genetic testing is also provides information to relatives, which is something we always mention to intended parents in their pre-test genetic counselling. So we know if somebody is found to be a carrier of a particular condition, even if the other gamete provider is not a carrier of the same condition, individuals in that person's own family will be at risk of being a carrier. So, um, and we usually suggest they share that information with their relatives. And of course, any children they have in the future will also be at risk of being a carrier. So that's, I guess, not a direct benefit to that individual or couple but for their future children and relatives and i think it's also worth stating is like we are the only surrogacy organization in the uk that offers this level of testing and i've partnered with a, a genomics company to help facilitate it but it's about raising awareness that you know this testing is really really important and you know if you look at society generally heterosexual couples who procreate naturally none of them have this level of testing. And I'm not saying they all should start having this level of testing, but I think it's about accepting that there are risks associated with that. And if you are using, you know, reproductive medicine and these tests are available to you and you understand, you know, the, the, the risks of, of what you're doing, you can be better informed and you can potentially look at safeguarding your family for the future, you know, to, to try and maybe stop some of these conditions coming through. So we really believe in it. And... It's really fair to say that we've had lots of couples with co-carriage, you know, that the numbers are growing. We're currently writing a piece uh, for evidence to kind of to push out there in the community so people can see the numbers. But there's no communities of surrogacy uh, organisations creating this type of data. But it's not that it's extremely rare and it's never going to happen, because if that was the case, we'd either not see any or maybe see the odd one. We're seeing lots, aren't we? You know, and I don't want to scare people, but... The reality is that we, we, we're seeing a significant amount of our intended parents do have co-carriage, which is then allowing them to make a decision about changing various aspects of their journey, but they're knowingly understanding their genetic makeup, how that's going to, and how that potentially impacts their future children. Yeah. And I think, you know, overall, really, the, you know, for, for anybody kind of in the general population, the risk of having a child with a genetic condition is relatively low, but the potential impact if you do get a positive result and are in that situation where you might have a child with a, a devastating condition. You know, I think a lot of people who we meet with who have had a child, they, they say, I can't believe I didn't know about this beforehand. And why was it never been something that was discussed with me? In the short term, getting that positive result, so that co-carriage result is devastating. You know, often intended parents have really planned out the next few weeks mm -hmm. and months and it's a real setback and there's a lot of frustration. But, you know, when they reflect, they're glad that it has been picked up because Trust they've me. been able to, you know, reduce that risk and, and choose a slightly different path. 
But I, I also think that's part of the process of making sure they understand the impact of a negative result before they take the test. Like I think you said when we were prepping for the podcast, is like even though you've had that conversation with them and they know that there's a potential, it still comes as a shock. Yeah. Because I yeah. think everyone still thinks that, that everything's going to be fine and everything's going to be rosy. But I firmly believe that if they know this information, they're going to make much more future-friendly decisions that are going to have less of an impact on their family. Yeah, I think often they think, well, it won't be me who's the unlucky mm. one and this is just almost a formality. And we really, we are very, very clear in our pre-test genetic counselling session that it may happen and we do explore scenarios with them particularly complex is when you have maybe a, a same-sex couple who have selected an egg donor there's co-carriage between one of them and the donor but not between the other and that's really complex do you go ahead just creating embryos with one but not mm -hmm. the other mm -hmm. um so we kind of explore those scenarios up front so and they don't know the answers there and then but at least no. it's got the ball rolling no, and I think you're right there, actually. It has the potential to change the direction of travel of their journey. And I think, you know, with, their, with any of these testing, they take time. You know, if they're going to change donor, that takes time. And often time is a factor for a lot of people. But I think it's about allowing them to understand that there's no right or wrong, but it's about then reassessing what their journey looks like. Does this change the direction of travel or do they need to go back three or four steps and start again? And it's everyone's kind of view about how they approach it. But I think... For me, working with you guys who, one, really understand surrogacy and the different needs of our members and, and how that impacts their journey and what state of their journey they're on. But two, it's like that they have access to it. Let's just quickly talk about, you know, what is genetic counselling? Why is it important? I know you've covered some of those bits there, but I think... Just to frame it for people is what what does a typical genetic counselling session look like? And I know we have two of you here today and there are more genetic counsellors. So we're, we're really lucky that we have you. And there is a reactive element to it, you know. So typically if you have a genetic counselling session before you have the test and the test is all positive, then in, really, in reality, you don't need to, to talk again. But there are those occasions where the member has to then spend more time with you. Yeah, um, you know, I think our role is to help educate the patients on, you know, what the testing is, what it's going to involve from their point of view, and also help them kind of explore their, you know, potential responses to the different types of results and help them make the right decisions for them. So from our point of view, we never say that somebody should definitely have genetic testing, but we, we do feel that everybody should be aware of it, of carrier screening as an option. And then it's our job to help them make the right decision for them. So I think sometimes when we initially meet with people, they think that we're kind of trying to sell the test to them, where really, you know, we just want people to be able to make the decision that's right for them and, and for them to be happy to say, yes, I'd like to go ahead with this testing and that's the right decision for me. Or, you know, potentially to say, no, it's not right for me, but I'm glad we had a discussion about it. And because now I, I know why that is. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in a normal genetic counseling session or a typical session with us, we would usually kind of start by going through their history. A few reasons for that. I mean, you know, one, it helps us to understand their medical and, and family history, but also it gives them an opportunity to share their journey with us so far. And for us to, you know, kind of understand where they've come from up until that point. And we'd usually, you know, go through their understanding of genetics, their expectations for the session. Sometimes they have a lot of questions coming in about what genetic testing is, what it isn't. We'll talk about the, the kind of benefits and limitations of having a genetic test. As we said, you know, potential results, what they mean, um, implications for them and for their family members. And that one, I think we've had a few people who've been a bit surprised 
by that, who, who have said to me, like, oh, this whole thing came up because we're going through our fertility treatment on this you know, journey. But I actually hadn't realized that if it's a genetic test, it's going to impact my family as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I didn't think that my sister, who's also having children, that, that she might want to know this information. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly for people who haven't spoken with their family members about that, that's something we usually say, you know, do you, would you feel comfortable sharing that with them? How do you yeah, think they sure. would feel? Yeah, um, it has wider impact, doesn't it? It's not mm-hmm. just about you because of the genetic makeup of your family. It potentially could mean that other people are then having to have considerations about their genetic makeup and how that potentially your results impact other family members and it might be that those family members already have children who may be a carrier and you don't know there's lo- lots of different dynamics yeah. uh, to it and 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 you can see why preparing people for these results by having a pre-test session is really really important because i think there's so much more that people yeah. just don't even consider yeah and even you know with carrier screening obviously we when we go through a family history with with those people we aren't necessarily expecting to see anything in the family history because that's not the sort of focus or purpose of this type of test but very often we'll have people who do say Oh, I've got, you know, a relative who's got this, is that genetic? Or I've had lots of people in my family with cancer and, you know, lots of people with breast cancer, cancer at young ages. And so it, it can also be a good opportunity for us. You know, we're looking at it from a well-rounded perspective that it's not just about carrier screening. There could be other things in their families that they may not be aware that it, it could be worth pursuing further. You know, there could be other conditions that their children could be at risk of that mm. they might want to pursue testing for that. So it's also an opportunity for us to go through that with them in the pre-test session. But I also think picking up on one of the points you both have, have talked about already is that it's about whether whether you want to do the test. And I think that's really key is because I think often you don't realize what's coming from it and the sessions with, with, with you will help them understand the implications of it, not just for them, but potentially the wider family. And then at that point, they can make a decision whether this test is right for them. Because I think it's one of those scenarios where once the box is open, the box is open, you can't shut it again. Once you have that knowledge, what do you do with it? That's really true. And one of the things we often ask is, what might you do differently if you have a co-carriage result? What might that change? And if someone was to say, I don't think it would change anything. I really like this, say if they're using a donor, I really like this donor. Then we have to be very careful to say, well, your clinic may well not allow you to use that donor if there is co-carriage. Um, I think clinics vary in their policies on this. So it's it's really important to, to think about that, dis- discuss it with your clinic. Um, and for, for some intended parents, it may depend on the condition if it was a very... I mean, all of the conditions we include um, in our testing panel are generally considered to be severe and or life-limiting, but there are forms of them that can be slightly milder, so that may influence decision-making. But I think it's discussions around how you view the idea of having a child with a genetic condition. And that, as as I think you touched on, Alyssa, that might depend on your personal experience, um, perhaps knowing somebody who has a child and has cared for a child. So, yeah, I think many factors come into that decision-making. I also think it's worth pointing out is that, you know, the particular test that we're talking about, I think the stats on it, we check 450 genes, which represents 550 conditions. Now, if you just have that test, there are genes that aren't being checked, you know, that there are more Mm. in there and you can have a test that checks all of them. But like you just mentioned, Lizzie, is that the the test that we do, CGT Plus, that checks a certain amount of them. So I think people need to be aware that just because you have that test, it doesn't necessarily mean to say that there aren't some genes that aren't being tested. And even though you both have this test, it might be that you recur carriage for genes that aren't actually being being checked. 
And you can never guarantee a healthy child. I think that's always important to stress is that there's always going to be a limit to what you're looking at. And mm -hmm. of course, new genetic variants or faults can arise in a baby for the first time as well. So it's just we're always cautious to stress the limitations of the test. Mm -hmm. And I, I think people get that. I think a lot of times, you know, certainly people who have heard about this only because they're going through fertility treatment, they do say, I'm so grateful that we have this opportunity and that our donor has been tested for all of these conditions and that we can get tested as well because we may not be able to prevent or completely eliminate the chance of having a child with a genetic condition but it gives us peace of mind to know that we're doing everything we can to reduce that risk as much as possible and as well it's 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 better than doing nothing because the nothing is the unknown and you you kind of deal with what what happens once the baby's born you can't do anything at that point i think the purpose of the test is about giving you information that allows you to make a, a much better and informed decision. And if you decide to proceed, you've made that decision knowing what you know, uh, rather than having no information and just kind of, to some extent, taking a risk, you know, because that's the reality of it, isn't it? What are some of the typical things that people are in, think are included within the genetic testing? They often think it's going to tell them something about their own health, where Generally, we're, we're looking at recessive conditions. We're looking at carrier status for recessive conditions. Being a carrier for one of those conditions usually has no impact for your own health. So they're often worried that we're going to come back and say, oh, your chance of getting Alzheimer's or cancer is significantly increased. And we're, we have to be very careful to say, no, it's not going to tell us about that. So that's that's quite a common misconception. Often, I think people aren't in this headspace of thinking about it until they actually realise that this test is available. And I think for a lot of people, it takes time to process it. And I think the sessions pre-test are really good way for them to expose them to it allow them to process it in their own mind and come out the other end realizing what it is and, and being comfortable with it or not and then proceeded with the test or not i think it is all about putting that infrastructure in with them so they can make the, the best decision and, and know whether it's right for them and often this is not just a conversation with one person isn't it it's a it's about you know if you're creating as, as a couple if you're a same-sex couple you know it's it's about it has wider impacts not just on one family potentially two mm. and it's never there's never a rush to make that decision so we, People sometimes will say, couples or will sometimes say, we need some time to talk about this, think about it, we'll come back to you. So as Alyssa said, we're, the whole premise of genetic counselling is that it's non-directive. We're, we're, we're never telling people what to do. We're just facilitating their decision making. Mm. Do you ever get people who like the idea of the testing, but when they go through the counselling and then, and then come out the other end and, and realise that the testing isn't for them? They don't want that kind of responsibility or knowledge or results? I think sometimes it can depend on people's circumstances. As Lizzie said, you know, we usually try to to speak with them and try to explore in the session, what would you do with the results? And if just having the information so that you're prepared, if you decide to move forward with and accepting that risk, you know, for some people that's enough and that's a good enough reason to do the test. But I've had a few other people who, you know, are looking to use a, a donor who's a carrier of, of something that they feel is relatively mild and they they kind of say i really like this donor and i still actually feel like i'd use this donor even if i found out i was a carrier and really for me the priority is moving forward with my treatment as quickly as possible so perhaps i should just do that and and not go ahead with carrier screening i think another one that sometimes comes up and this doesn't happen often but there are a few genetic conditions that we look at where carriers might have mild symptoms or they could be at risk of, of certain conditions a bit later in life. And that's something that we, we try to explore with people in their pre-test session because, you know, we recognize the main purpose of, of you doing this testing is for future children and the next generation. But how would you feel if you found out something about your own health? 
is that going to be something that worries you and plays on your mind quite a lot? Um, and we do have some people who say, you know, I'm, I'm really prepared for information that might help my children, but I don't know if I want to know anything about myself. So that's something that we, we try to explore with people. I think it's a very personal thing, isn't it? And I think it takes some time to process about what feels right for you. I'd say in our experience, most people, um, particularly MSJ members do, I say the majority do end up having carrier screening. For those that don't, I think sometimes there's a sense that this journey is so full of information and it can be so overwhelming that this is yet another piece of information they have to deal with. So that's just another, I guess, mm. con of the, of the process. Some people just feel they can't cope and they feel actually if, if I was in a heterosexual relationship conceiving naturally, this wouldn't be something I would have to consider. And, and so why should I consider it now? Yeah. I think, yeah, I think you get a lot of a lot of people who are information seekers and feel like the more information I have, the better. But that's not the case for everybody. I think some people do feel quite overwhelmed by it all. Yeah, and it often happens at a time when there's lots of other decisions and there's lots of other things to consider that, uh, you know, it might be about, you know, they've gone, they've already just gone through the process of choosing a donor, which can often be really quite overwhelming, knowing how that that decision impacts potentially them and their future children. And I think they're having to make some really serious decisions. And I think for a lot of people, when they they don't need to go through this process, they'd never have to think about these things. So I think a lot of the the time, it's, it really takes a lot of time for people to process it. And I, and I, and I would probably advise, you know, it's that it is about taking time. And if you are gonna do uh, this level of testing, when you are creating embryos, it is about taking the time and allowing the time in your journey because we all know that often people are really like want to run at everything at 100 miles an hour and that's really one of the drivers of my surrogacy journey is about preparing everyone not just physically with all of the practical elements of your journey but it's how do you deal with those emotional ones and how do you give yourself enough time in the journey to be able to process some of this really life-changing information that you might be given. I think the timing's a really good point actually. Not we don't find so much with MSJ members. They generally do seem quite prepared for that, but certainly with other patients we see from from different settings, um, sometimes the pressure for them for their the timing of their treatment is a reason why they don't end up having testing. They just can't afford the time to wait for the sure. test, which we feel is a real shame. If yeah. they wouldn't have done it anyway, that's fine. But some of them say, I really like the idea of this, but I just can't wait another month. Yeah. So I think it's really important to kind of build in that time which you obviously do when you when you discuss things with your members right up front yeah and let, let's talk about the timing actually because i mean the testing and the results take a little while to come back to it. i think it's like currently like 25 26 working days for those results to come back so you know if you if you work with us we would we would have already factored that into your whole kind of journey but you know, this test it does take a while and you do have to factor it in. And you've also got to factor in the time to be able to have the genetic counselling as well. So the difficult element where people are given results they weren't expecting, how would you deal with that? And, and, and what tell, talk to us about the process. How would they find out typically? It does vary, I think, from case to case, but usually it will be the, the clinic who will be the first ones to share the news with the intended parents. But I think that's fairly top-line information that's given. Um, and then very quickly we will obviously already be aware of the result through our laboratory. So very quickly, we will contact the intended parents and arrange to meet with them often the same day or the next day, certainly with, within a, a few days. Um, sometimes they don't want to meet straight away if they just want to process that a little bit first. And then we will have a, a full discussion with them. So we'll find out first, what do they understand about the result and how are they feeling? Because it's, you know, as we said already, even if we think we've prepared them for it, they inevitably will be shocked and, you know, very upset. So it's just taking some time to kind of 
listen to, to, to how, how they've been feeling. And then we'll talk through the result and explain it in detail, what that means, what the risk is if they were to move ahead with... For the specific condition. For the specific condition. And we will talk through the specific condition. And then we'll talk through their options, which will very much depend on their circumstances and also on the clinic. So I think you've already mentioned that, you know, very often um, if they're using a donor, they will pick a different donor. And some clinics will, will ask that they do that. I think some clinics would be okay with them using the donor if they signed a waiver to say they understand the risk. But that's obviously if the individual or couple are happy to take the risk of having a child with that condition. If they want to reduce that risk, then clearly picking a different donor is the option. I think there are certain circumstances, say if, if someone, if they were using a known donor, perhaps a friend, and they really felt very, very strongly they wanted to use that donor, then it might be possible to explore other options. So for example, testing embryos for that particular condition, which is called PGTM, pre-implantation genetic testing for monogenic disease. So that could be an option. Mm -hmm. um, or testing in a pregnancy. So going ahead with embryo transfer and then testing once the pregnancy had got to around about 11 weeks. Yeah. And I, and I think that's a really good point to mention that is, is that it's not that this potential, if they do have co-carriage, it ends their journey automatically. It's about exploring with you, you know, on your session with them post results, what is the condition and what is the impact? And is there a way around it or is this too severe to, to, to move forward? And until you have those conversations in that, I suppose they, they don't know how that is and it might be that you know you can you can do uh, the testing of the embryo and it might be that those embryos don't have that specific gene in them and there's that the risk is is not there so it, th there are always options and it isn't always automatically like you've got to stop and and start again there are options available yeah and this is where we find that pre-test genetic counseling is really really helpful i mean one so that we've already established a relationship with them and when they get that news that is inevitably going to be shocking devastating for them that they know okay here's our here's our person we've spoken with them before we kind of have had some initial discussions around this and at least even if we've spoken a little bit about it beforehand and they may not have known exactly what they were going to do if they had what we call a positive result or if they found out that their carriers are the same thing as their donor at least they feel that they've been given some information about potential options so they're not completely in the dark um, so that's where we find you know especially having established that relationship with them earlier can be really really useful and I always think that that's the way to move forward you know this isn't just about genetic testing but you know if you have a bump in the road you know in, in other scenarios on their journey it's about like let's let's review let's understand our options and then let's look at what the plan is moving forward and that's the same in this scenario isn't it it, may, it might be that this isn't the end of the road this is a bump we, we didn't know was coming we now know about it we might need to take evasive action we might need to do things a bit differently but at least we know about it and we've, we can continue moving forward or this is a deal breaker here we need to kind of pause we need to look at a new donor or whatever those options are there yeah, and, and we found at least feedback that we've got from people we've spoken to is that it can be just really helpful and reassuring just to have that support person or mm -hmm. someone you know you can go to who's going to be able to have you know the answers or be able to give you information about the condition. Totally. That it's is so it, important. It is about having the expert there who can give you the answers, who can give the information they need. What we don't need is you get a negative result and then no one's there to be able to give you the answers or look at how you move it forward. And I think this is exactly why this genetic counselling and the relationship you build up with those patients is so important. Just to 
one yeah. minor correction yeah. um we it's the terminology around genetic testing is really confusing so we actually call a co-carriage result a positive result which i know is very confusing because it makes it sound like it's a good thing i know i, I just said, oh, okay. yeah. I realized, I said yeah you said negative yeah. and i said positive i thought so, oh, that's so yes yeah. so it's it's really confusing and it does confuse patients sometimes so yes yeah, so or we say a, a bad news result. yeah yeah exactly yeah. but no i'm really glad we cleared that up because i think it's important people understand the terminology and yeah. i think and i'm sure i have no doubt that within that session you would be helping them understand the terminology in, 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 a, in a really effective way. And I know we've talked a lot about intended parents, but let's talk about the donor here because the donor has that level of testing. If, you know, if it was an anonymous donor, would they need to be informed of the genetic condition? Or would, talk, let's talk about that because this isn't just about intended parents. You know, as an organisation, we do an undonor program. We also uh, allow intended parents to use some of our partner agencies in terms of donation, and they also have that testing. How does the donor fit into this, and, and what kind of resource is available for those? So it does depend on the donor bank. We hope that most donor banks will share that result with the donor and we actually do often meet I mean with MSJ donors we will do pre-test genetic mm -hmm. counselling we, we not all donor banks use us for that but we are often asked to meet with them um, with anonymous donors once they've had a result to talk that through and explain the implications because obviously if they already have children or if they're hoping to have children in the future then that's relevant for them yeah. so I mean that's our hope I don't think probably we reach all of them sure and that's perhaps an education issue for us to work on with donor banks. Yeah, but I think it's equally important to acknowledge that, you know, it, there is, this isn't just about intended parents and there's equally the same amount of, not, not necessarily fallout, but like things to consider with, with the donors. And like you say, Lizzie, most of those donors have children or might have children already, which then potentially has an impact that they really didn't consider. And it wasn't necessarily a test they would have naturally had if they weren't going through the donation process. Yeah, and I, I believe with our test, donors are given the option of whether they want to have their results or not. Mm -hmm. um, so if it's, you know, not something that they really want to think about at that point in time, they may choose not to have their results. But that data is available if they do come back at a later stage and say, I would like to speak with somebody about my results now. Sure. And, uh, but I, I think it's a really good thing to consider because this is, is, like we've said earlier, this is life-changing data or information. And I think it's about how you manage it and what you do with it. But well, we do notice when we have met with donors for pre-test counselling they approach the session very much in the mindset we're here to help these people mm -hmm. and they haven't really thought about it Correct. in terms of themselves at all so it's really useful to have that discussion yeah, yeah. and I think you're right Lizzie. like they're, they're doing it with this altruistic nature to help people and not probably not at any point did they think that any kind of testing would potentially have lifelong impact on them and their potential family and I think that's again another reason why the pre-counselling is is really so important you know because I think the intended parents, they know when they request this test, they know that there's potential that this could come out and they're doing in that because it's about the future of their family. The donors didn't. That's not what they were expecting to get from this journey. And I think we, we absolutely believe in making sure everyone's tested. But I think we should all acknowledge that there are some people, potentially donors, who never really wanted to know this information and was never expecting to potentially get access to some of this information. Yeah. And I think sometimes, you know, they may have, if they are people who weren't planning on aren't planning on having children themselves you know they might think okay that's fine those results they're not really relevant to me and then suddenly they think hang on but I do have a brother or sister and it could be relevant to them so mm. um, even if they're not you know they are focusing on their role as a donor or they're not thinking about 
their own reproductive risk, it, it also could impact their family members as well. Totally. I think it's such a fascinating thing. And then the more you start to understand it and get yourself educated on it, you kind of recognize how far and far and wide this potential information could spread and the impact, how it can kind of move out through, through your family, ultimately. Let's talk about the future of genetic testing because this is continually evolving. You know, when we first started uh, my surrogacy journey, we did testing with a much lower panel. That in like a year and a half has, has increased from, I think it used to be 350 to 450. Working in the genomics world and, and the genetics industry, what do you kind of see that's coming up and how do you see it change? I'm not going to hold you to anything, <laughs> but how do you see it? I think what we hope is that awareness of this type of testing increases. As we've already said, the majority of of individuals and couples we see come through fertility clinics, perhaps are using donors, and most donor banks test their donors routinely, genetically test them. We're not seeing many couples who are conceiving naturally coming to us, and as we know, they have the same risk of, of co-carriage. So we hope that that awareness increases. Of course, not everybody will have testing, but at least to have the opportunity if they want to is would be the goal mm -hmm. and as, as well I suppose for it to be a bit more accessible it's obviously something that you pay for mm -hmm. um, and I think probably for the NHS to fund it might be a little bit beyond our hopes at the moment but certainly to see it become a, a bit more accessible. Inclusive and yeah. accessible to people yeah. And I think there's there's probably likely to be more easily accessible direct to consumer testing as well. Mm -hmm. um, you see that already don't you? Yeah exactly and I, don't, I think you don't see it as much in the UK at the moment because most people who have genetic testing, you know, that's that's through the NHS, but certainly in other parts of the world, and, and I think it is increasing in the UK, is people who are wanting to find out more about their genetic background and looking for genetic testing online. You know, obviously I would say this, but I think one of the potential downsides with those sorts of tests is that they may not always offer the support or people who are going to interpret those types mm -hmm. of results. And so, you know, we also feel that it's it's really important to have more access to people like us, genetic counsellors, genetics doctors, who are going to be able to help support people with those results and, and how they, you know, could potentially impact them, potentially impact their family members. I totally agree. Because, I mean, we do a lot of work in the States and you see that, you know, genetic testing in the States, is, is particularly within the surrogacy and, and uh, reproductive health field is is really quite standard you know uh, variations in panel size but generally it's widely acknowledged that that plays a, a massive part of the, the standards of, of of that and I think we're seeing more of more of that come into the UK now we were the first organization and we continue to uh, grow and look at how we can enhance our member services through genetic testing and as that changes we will continue to evolve with that but what I am seeing in the UK and particularly with some of our partners is that they are particularly around donation, they are having it as part of the standard level of screening now, rather than an add-on or an addition, which I think has been a, a massive step change, you know, over the last couple of years. I think that is now becoming actually the norm with, with those progressive clinics, particularly those who work with surrogacy, but also recognise the value of it. So, I mean, I, th I think that's just going to continue to get pretty standard. Yeah, we certainly hope so. I think, you know, like you said, in the States, it is now becoming pretty standard that donors are tested for three to 500 genetic conditions. And and people seem to want that as mm -hmm. well. They want that information. A lot of banks in the UK and Europe are a little bit further behind mm -hmm. and aren't necessarily offering that. But that seems to be when people come to us and they're looking at selecting a donor, they want as much information as they can have about that person and their background and their family history. 
And there, yeah. is, um, there is sometimes a misconception. A patient will select a donor from one of the European banks that perhaps haven't done any or very limited genetic testing. And they'll say, oh, great, this donor's not a carrier. I mean, we're always very careful to say, well, not of the things they've been tested for, but obviously there's huge variation in how extensive that testing is. And I also think that, you know, we all know that in the UK, the, the, the amount of information that's available for uh, non-anonymous donors is limited. And I think if you can do a test that gives you a, a lot more comfort around anything that's in their genetics, that's going to help really kind of, because you don't know very much about donors in the UK if you use the UK donor. So I think that's a, a level, not a level of control for intended parents, but just more information they can gauge, which obviously is non-identifying, but it helps give you some reassurance and some comfort that you, the test is available and you can kind of try and find out some of that genetic information I, th I think sometimes it can make people make make decisions for people a little bit more difficult because they feel like because they're picking a donor and there's so much to pick from and so much information that there's so much pressure to pick the right donor and you know certainly when it, when it comes to genetics they think that testing results can maybe give us more information than where we really are at the moment. So it can give us general ideas about risks, but we can't be very, very specific about, you know, all sorts of different types of traits. Um, we can't ever guarantee that uh, in a child. So usually when I speak with people, I'll, when we're going through family history, we'll ask them, is there something that you're worried about for future children? And very often they'll say, well, I've got eczema or I've got this and these sorts of conditions. And that's something I've always wondered, is that going to be passed on to, to my child? So we usually try to go through that with them because I think sometimes we don't realize that there are things that are important to them that they're yeah. wondering about sure. that they've never really thought to ask. No. Look, you know, I think all of the topics we've, just, we've, we've kind of walked through today is like so, so interesting. And I think what I'm hoping that the listener takes from this and one of the things that both of you have talked about is education. How can we help people understand how important this is? You know, give people choices, but ultimately allow people to know that this test exists. When I speak to intended parents, I can guarantee nine times out of 10, they don't know that this test exists. So it is all about helping people understand what tests are available that's going to help them have a better understanding of their genetic makeup and how that's going to impact them on their family building journey. So ladies, thank you very much for being in the studio with us today. It's, as, as always, a pleasure to see you in person. We don't spend enough time together mm -hmm. uh, where everyone's massively busy, but I really have a, an admiration and appreciation for the work you do, not only generally in helping uh, raise awareness for, for, for this level of testing, but also how you support our members. I know I've had feedback from our members and we just have this really great relationship with you as an organisation, but particularly you as counsellors. And I know that if there's anything me or any of our members ever needed, we can just pick up the phone and speak to you. So I just really wanted to acknowledge that and thank you for it. But for me, the big takeaway is about education and how can we continue to help people understand what's available to them to make the most informed decisions. It's probably one of our guiding principles as my surrogacy journey. It's all about how do we give you the information that helps you make the most informed decision. And we use that principle across everything that we do, not just genetic testing, but about everything. So thank you again. I'm sure all the listeners have taken away so much from this episode and genetics is so fascinating and so interesting. So I think that's a wrap for today's episode, but don't
don't forget if you need your podcast fix we're back every monday proudly supported and sponsored by manchester fertility one of the top performing fertility clinics in the uk with some of the best success rates in the north of england if you want to find out more about my surrogacy journey then head over to our website which is mysurrogacyjourney.com or find us on instagram at official my surrogacy journey if you like this episode then please subscribe to the series and we will have another episode for you coming out soon Thank you very much for listening. Uh, I have been your My Surrogacy Journey podcast host. Thank you and goodbye.